We're moving to a, a brand new chapter in the book of Philippians. And um, some of you have missed them. We've got some notes from you. You know, please bring George back. And, and so uh, out of pressure, peer pressure, uh, we give in. So, <laughs> hey, those of you watching online, thanks for taking time for the stream. Um, everybody here today, if you're a guest, welcome. Say goodbye to the preschoolers. They were in for uh, the singing this morning. Yeah, appreciate all the volunteers, man. All the teachers, all the media dudes, all the everywhere. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, um, congratulations to uh, Travis and Jessica Weigel. Their son was born... um, I better get this right on the 13th. Abram, and he and his mom were in the hospital last week, so uh, they were planning on coming out. So if you're hiding, congrats. Yeah, yeah. Good. (laughs) Put a little energy in today. You guys have your oatmeal today? Uh, yeah, um, just a footnote, I put raisins in my oatmeal and I, I boil them with the water and then I dial it back and then at the end of it I put my honey in, so man, I'm like John the Baptist, you know, there you go, there you go, we'll talk more about George in a minute, but, um, Andy Stanley, um, was 13 years old when he learned the phrase, actions speak louder than words. And it just happened to be going on in church, the church that uh, he and his family were attending. Charles, his dad, was the um, associate pastor at a church in Atlanta. The senior pastor had resigned under pressure from the deacon board. And so um, while the search committee was out and about, they asked Charles to fill the pulpit. And he did, and the church was flourishing during that time. But there was a group of men and women who uh, had been around around the church for a long time, and they just felt like, man, this is our church. We own it. Um, uh, it, You know, they just feel like it's ours. And people from the outside, we ought to make them feel miserable. So they were in conflict with Charles' godly standard that he was setting within the congregation. And after a while, they realized, man, we can't control this guy. You know, can't control him. So they had one choice, and that was to get rid of him. So they went to him in a very nice way at first and asked him to step down, and he didn't go. And then they bribed him, and that didn't work. And then finally, they started threatening him. Now, keep in mind, this is in a church, friends. Andy said, my dad's response to all this was marked. It marked me for life. The way I saw it, he saw it. God had brought him to that place. And when God told him to leave, he would load us all up in the Grand Safari station wagon. (laughs) We had one of those once back in the day. And we would go. We would go. And uh, there were times when Charles himself would say, God, you know, do you want me to go? Give me permission. And he always seemed to get the same answer from the Lord. uh, Stay right where you're at. Keep doing what you're doing. And so uh, Charles was up front with um, the hostile group that wanted him to go. He said, you know, if the when we have a congregational vote, they can vote me out. And if that's the case, I'll go quietly. So don't worry about it, basically, you know. And as time went on, uh, things started to heat up in the church more and more. The power brokers started taking members of the congregation out to dinner. And nasty things were said about Charles Stanley. And anonymous letters were written against him. But the church continued to flourish, And it was about two weeks before the scheduled church vote uh, for Charles to be their pastor or not. 
Um, it was a Wednesday night. And Andy said I was sitting six rows back on the right during our regular Wednesday evening church service. The program was just beginning when one of the deacons walked uh, up to the pulpit to make an announcement. And uh, Deacon Myers was part of the crew, you know, to overthrow my father. And once he finished his brief announcement, he began sharing some personal feelings about what was going on in the church, you know, the brewing controversy. And the longer that Deacon Myers talked, the angrier he got. Um, And he became more animated. And then to the horror of the congregation, Deacon Myers actually swore in his anger. And so... Andy said, my dad got up from his chair, walked up to Deacon Myers and said, no, you need to watch your language. And before my dad could finish his sentence, the deacon raised his fist towards my dad's face. And he said, no, you'd better watch yourself or you might get punched. It's getting a little creepy. Hmm? And he said, man, it's frozen my memory, this picture of Deacon Myers, clenched fist, poised, inches away from my dad's face. I don't know exactly how long the two of them stood there, but it sure seemed like for an eternity. Oh, and eventually Deacon Myers, he couldn't contain himself any longer, and to the shock of everybody in the congregation, he reared back and punched my dad right in the jaw. And that was a defining moment for me, Andy said. As a 13-year-old, I saw firsthand what it looked like to do the right thing, even when it cost something. And I sat there, and I watched my hero, my dad, stand up to the forces of evil and win without firing a shot. I knew then that I wanted to be that kind of man when I grew up. Speaking of my father, after being hit, my dad staggered back for just a moment and stepped back up beside Deacon Myers without saying a word. No words were necessary. In an instant, my dad, Charles Stanley, had become a hero while Deacon Myers and his cohorts had been exposed. From that moment on, it didn't really matter what anybody said because actions speak louder than words. And there we have it. Uh, Today we continue our series in the book of Philippians, the Joy Project, and uh, today's subtopic joy in getting along and we're breaking into a brand new chapter chapter two that is why we brought George out because for those of you that are newer uh, to Life Church you might be here for the first time Uh, we'd encourage you to go back and go into the archives and track through the beginning of the book it's a great letter that the Apostle Paul wrote from Rome when he was under house arrest and he was chained uh, to a praetorium guard and it wasn't a three foot chain or six foot, it was 18 inches. That was the freedom uh, that Paul had for two years. The praetorium guards came in every three hours. They were the elite soldiers of Rome at the time. They were well trained. And so Paul had a, an audience of one with these guards where he was able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So he's still there in chapter two. All right. He's still there. He hasn't gone anywhere. And so just keep in mind as we're walking through this letter uh, to the church in Philippi, Paul had been there 10 years earlier. Now he's under house arrest in Rome, 800 miles away. And he's writing this letter to the church where he had been 10 years earlier, and he's hearing stuff, you know, what's going on, and he has a real heart and passion for that particular church. And so he writes this letter, and uh, let's go to it, chapter 2, starting at verse 1, and um, see what Paul has to say, and we can apply it to our lives as well this morning. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly. 
with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Don't you wish this letter would have been read at this church in Atlanta hmm? years ago? Do you think Deacon Myers read this letter from Paul, friends? Do you see why it's so important to read the Bible? Not only just read it, but apply it to our lives. Lord, speak to me. Spirit of God, speak to me. Is there anything in my life that is not honoring to you? See, that's our responsibility. And so we, we do have a responsibility to follow God's word. And unfortunately, not only in our country, but churches all around the world struggle with power issues. Who's in control? I want to be in control. I want my way. I don't care if it damages other people in the process. I'm important. You see, that attitude quite simply mirrors the character of Satan himself. That's why Satan got kicked out of heaven because of pride and arrogance, because he wanted to be worshipped like God. See? And his influence impacted a third of the angels in heaven as well. So they got an eviction notice from God because that will not be tolerated, that kind of attitude. So you and I, we get to dial in to what kind of attitude we're going to follow after. It's either we follow after God's character or Lucifer, Satan's character. We can choose. If we take a vote today, I hope we vote for God's character. Yeah. Father, thank you this morning for your good word. And Lord, we know that you love unity. You prayed for it. And you prayed for it in your church, that your church would model that unity that you and your Father and your Holy Spirit model for us. And today, Lord, we pray for those watching online and those in this room you know exactly where we're at in life. All the anxiety, the stress, the life issues that we face and how much you love and care for us, Lord, promising to walk us through it all. And Lord, as we read and walk through your word today, we want to give your Holy Spirit permission to bop us on the head, not in the jaw, but on top of the head, um, in a way that it gets our attention uh, for those areas that maybe we need to change, maybe because of pride, insecurity, whatever the case may be, we've elevated ourselves above others. We don't want to do that anymore, Lord. We see the damage that was done in that church in Atlanta, Georgia years ago. And we want to honor you, the body of Christ as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You've got your outline, those watching online, you could pull it up, uh, Life Church Facebook page, the Life Church webpage. Um, it, to me, it's cool to follow along, and um, we're all moving in the same direction, right? That's important. So... Unity is a gift from God. It is. In 2 Chronicles 30, verse 12, it says, At the same time God's hand was on the people in the land of Judah, check this out, giving them all one heart to obey the orders of the king and his officials who were following the word of the Lord. The message says, God worked powerfully among them to make it unanimous. Isn't that cool? See the heart of God? Uh, that's, that's what Life Church is aiming for. Our job is to guard that gift that God gives to us. It's our responsibility to guard it, to protect it, to value it. Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort, Paul says, to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort. That's not a suggestion. It's not if you get around to it. 
you know, if you feel like it, you know, make it, you know, uh, it's a leftover effort. No, no, no. He's saying make every effort. That's a command, friends. It's a command. And you and I need to obey it wholeheartedly. Make every effort because that pleases the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul again says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And so, um, outside of salvation, when Paul wrote these letters in the New Testament, he talked and wrote most about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel. That's what he, that was his priority. But the second topic that he talked most about was unity. Unity in, with God's people. Why? Because Paul recognized how easy it is for us, we human beings created in the very image of God to go off the rails and think we're so important. You know? It's so easy. We get our feelings hurt. We're so touchy-feely. You know? Oh, you hurt my feelings. You know, and then all kinds of bad stuff goes on after that. So, um, Paul recognizes really what is most important, the gospel, and second of all, um, maintaining harmony, unity in the body of Christ. Number one in your notes, gifts for living, verse 1. Um, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Notice Paul kind of gives a rhetorical questions in verse 1. And in the Greek, you've got you to dial into the Greek to get the full impact of what Paul is doing here. It's not, you know, is there any, no, what he's saying is if you have it and you do. You could read that. If you have encouragement and you do, you could go through that first verse. If you have it, it's a gift from God. And so you do have it. (laughs) It's a gift that God has given to each one of us that we can thrive uh, together. And so um, our text begins with a reminder of what God's done for us and those any, the word any shows up three times in that first verse, and those any's do not express doubt, by the way. They're affirmations. Um, it would be similar to, let's say, at the, com- uh, the commencement speaker at a Christian university uh, says something like this. Um, if any of you have been encouraged by your education here, if any of you have grown in the Lord, if any of you have discovered God's will for your life here, then when you leave this place, don't forget to pray for us and invest in this university. Now, that, that's kind of a, the modern twist on what Paul's writing here. Um, so God gives, he's given us four gifts. And Paul's identifying him here in, 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 in verse 1. And keep in mind that Jesus valued unity Um, In John 17, he prayed before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to be betrayed. Um, He prayed to the Father, and this this is what he said. Now I'm coming to you, to his Father. I told them, them, us, many things while I was with them in the world so they would be filled with my joy. Are you filled with God's joy? Huh? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down <laughs> yeah, man, that's, that's, a, that's a famous song too. We need to be filled with his joy no matter what's going on. Paul, you know, Jesus has, has made that happen. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but here you and I come into the picture, also for all who will ever believe me through their message. Isn't that good? In 2021, he's praying for us. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. 
I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Do you think Jesus values unity? I think so. If he's just about to be betrayed and tortured and nailed to a cross for the sins of mankind, he's praying to the Father for you and me that we would have unity with each other. And so that's where you and I need to land. We should land. If it's important to Jesus, it should be important to us, right? Yeah, that's right. And so it grieves the Lord when there's disunity in, in the church. I can, I, you know, when just telling that story that Andy gave to us, imagine the heart of God being broken. Um, we're his body when we put our faith in Christ, and, and we should represent him well while we're living on this planet. And so we need to be healthy. Um, Disunity, it's a poison in a, in a body. When your body is fighting a disease, there's a war going on, and it's not healthy. And so uh, in the body of Christ, we need to walk in unity so that we're healthy. Paul gives us these innies in verse 1. Let's, let's dissect this verse. Number 1, encouraged by Christ is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And we would say, yes. We've been encouraged by having a relationship with Christ. Have you been encouraged? Yes. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's a gift, we would say, Lord, because you have encouraged me when I put my faith in you, you have been faithful. And because of that gift, I am going to walk in unity and represent you well. Yeah. See, that should be our attitude. Lord, because you gave me this gift, I'm going to say thank you in a very practical way, and that is walking in unity and in love. Yeah. So we're going to support unity to the Lord because he's given us encouragement. Romans 6, 5, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So because we've been united with Christ, that's what Paul says, we're reunited with him, he's encouraging us all the time. He is. Is there any encouragement? That word encouragement is paraklesis. That's the same um, form of the word that Jesus used in John 14, 16. This is what Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, counselor, comforter, encourager, who will never leave you. What Paul is saying is that there any encouragement, the paracleses, the Spirit of God is coming alongside of us to encourage us, to walk us through life. He's not only in us, but he's going to be walking beside us along the way. And really, that should encourage us. Yeah. It should. Does it? <laughs> Every believer has received this encouragement and comfort from Christ. And because we've experienced a common gift, we ought to walk in unity. Right. Number two, love by Christ. Any comfort from his love? Yes, we have experienced God's love. And that word love is agape in the Greek. That is the premier word of love in the Greek's language. And so let's talk about love by Christ. I have mentioned this many times about my own personal struggle with um, allowing the love of Christ to penetrate me. Even though I grew up in a church, it was a very um, uh, legalistic church. And I, I would say there wasn't a lot of joy there. But they did teach the Bible with a lot of rules and regulations. So, so by the time I was in my early 20s, I just had this overwhelming sense that I was not good enough for God to love me, that I was inferior, that God loved everybody, but he didn't love me. And, and because of that, I was, not a, I, was, I was a broken person. I recognize that. 
And I was grieving the Lord because I wasn't believing what he said about me. See? And through a series of events, I finally hit the bottom and, and I had to ask the Lord to forgive me. And I, I, I got all these Bible verses out to renew my mind because my mind was the battleground. And I started renewing it to, with verses saying what God said about me, what God thought about me. And healing began to come. And I can tell you that when I allowed the love of God to be poured into me, it radically changed my walk with him. Amen. You know? Instead of this sin-confess, sin-confess cycle that I was stuck in, it just leveled me out. Consistency was, was a byproduct of that. And I flourished because God's love was being poured into me in a very tangible way. It was radically changing me from the inside out and impacting relationships all around me. And one of the verses that really uh, stood out is found in Psalm 42. Um, it says, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. So, in a very practical way, each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. What, what's that like? Well, this image of uh, a wave. <laughs> That's a wave. Um... I've been in like Lake Michigan. I've been in a few oceans. And I tell you, I like to dive into that because it starts with your fingertips when that thing rolls over you. And you could feel it pushing. <laughs> to your toes, man. And that's the imagery of God's love. His breakers roll over me from top to bottom. I have experienced the love of God in that tangible way. And Paul is addressing this as well. There's too many broken followers of Christ because you've been stuck in neutral, that you're not good enough for God to love you. You need to settle that. And let him do it. Let him do it. And so what Paul is saying, this comic, common experience of, of the body of Christ experiencing the love of God, Paul writes about that in Ephesians 3, uh, 17, that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Do you see that? We need to allow our roots, our spiritual roots, go down into God's love. And when you allow that to happen, you'll become strong. Paul's praying, and may you have the power to understand. In other words, he's saying, Spirit of God, open, open the minds of your people to understand the great love that you have for them. May there be a breakthrough, almighty God, in the hearts of your people. As all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. The longer I have had this relationship with Christ, his love keeps getting deeper and wider and higher and lower. It never stops. And it's reminiscent of how when a man and woman get married and they say, man, we love each other. We love you to the max. Woo! You know? I know that's not true. <laughs> Sounds good, but it's not true. Why? Because the longer you're married, man, I love my wife more today than I did 43 years ago. But you love your wife to the max. And then a baby comes along. And that baby doesn't do anything. He just comes out. 
and you love that baby to the max. And you think, where did that love come from? I thought I loved my wife to the max. I thought I was tapped out with love, right? And another baby comes along and you're tapped out and you see that baby, woo! Love, where did that come from? Man, I love this baby to the max. Do you, do you get the picture? See, that, that the love comes from God. He just keeps pouring his love in. You, you, we can't contain his love. That's what Paul is saying, man. May you understand it. Then may you experience. Friends, have you experienced the love of Christ? Have you? Have you experienced it? If not, say, Lord, I want to experience your love. Lord, will you, will you deposit your love in me? I'm an empty vessel. And though it is too great to understand fully, then, check this out, you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You will be made complete. There's too many fractured followers of Christ. I can tell you this. I think one of the reasons why people lean towards uh, disunity or, or building up themselves over other people because they're broken, they're fractured. Because uh, when, when we allow the love of God to be poured into us, we're secure. You know? Our confidence is in the Lord. I don't have to prove anything to anybody. He loves me. I'm loved by the Father. So, so there you have it. Um, so their common love for Christ would cause them to love one another. God pours his love into us. We love, love God, love people. Love God, love people. God pours his love into us. We love from that love out. It's, it's just natural. Three, community with the Spirit. Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Yes, we have had fellowship with God's Spirit. Fellowship, koinonia, that's the Greek word. Fellowship, partnership. It's doing life in the Spirit together. When a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, I believe you died for me. I'm putting my trust in you. God gives you the Holy Spirit. A deposit inside of you, guaranteeing your inheritance for heaven one day. It's a down payment, so to speak. Every believer has fellowship with the same spirit of God. It's not fractured spirits of God. It's one spirit of God. And that's where the unity comes from. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. One spirit. Speaking of baptism, Check that class out next Sunday, friend. If you have not been water baptized, if you put your faith in Christ, the next step is to be baptized in water. And if you send the memo to keep you down a little longer in the water, we'll do that. <laughs> we, we'll give you a snorkel before... <laughs> I'm telling you, man, the Bible gives great teaching on water baptism. That's good. It's good. So, so um, yeah, we're baptized in one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit, which would produce unity. So it was God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, that drew us to Christ. That was the conviction when you feel conviction, like, man, I'm a sinner. I need to put my faith in Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit working in you, you know? When, when maybe you're compromising, you know, in your life with Christ, and we pause long enough for the Spirit of God to get our attention, he'll say, hey, man, hey, uh, you're going off the rails over here. Okay, thank you, Spirit of God. Forgive, you know, and then you go, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for having that wrong attitude or that wrong action or whatever the case may be. And then whew, we're back on track. It's the Spirit of God. Plus, Paul says in 1 Corinthians six 19, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You know? Back in the Old Testament, you had to go to a physical temple to go where God is. When you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit resides there, which makes you automatically a temple. You're a carrier 
of the Spirit of God. You are a moving, walking, breathing temple of God. You think there's value in you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Great worth. So, Paul is saying, man, if, if you're not into fellowshipping with one another and with God's spirit, you're going to bring disunity to the church. And in Ephesians 4.30, it says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Don't do it. The message says, don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. So, number four, um, God's mercy for me. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Question mark. Yes, they are. Why? Why are they, why are they tender and compassionate? Because, because God showed you and I mercy. That's what Paul's saying here. Because, because God, God poured his love into us. And you felt the intensity of God's care, his mercy, his compassion. As we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us grace. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, isn't it? We don't deserve it. We don't, I realize that more and more. The longer I'm in this relationship with the Lord, man, God, you are so merciful. You've poured your grace in me over and over. I don't deserve it, Lord. Gratitude overflows from that. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Man, I do deserve the wrath of God. How about you? (laughs) Hey, man. If I sin one time, I would deserve the wrath of God because God is so holy. I deserve judgment. I deserve punishment. But God took that on himself when he went to the cross. Isn't that good? His grace and mercy, which then overflows in our hearts that we are tender and we're compassionate because of God forgiving us, God extending his grace to us. And in turn, we dispense it freely. Man, and because of that, God, I'm going to walk in unity because you've been so good to me. So how do we live this out on a daily basis? Well, this is very profound. Number two, you live nice. And that's wisdom for my wife. When our kids were growing up and they get a little mean, ornery, she, she would uh, uh, take them to the woodshed um, without the belt and just say, be nice. You know, that was her form of discipline. Be nice. And um, what's that look like? Paul says in verse 2, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. The Philippians had brought Paul great joy, man. But he was also aware of stuff hitting the fan that, um, um, you know, there was this kind of this uh, spiritual superiority that was creeping in to some of the followers. We, we said in verse 3 of this chapter, and some were not working in harmony. We see in chapter 4, verse 2, please, Paul says, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. See, as followers of Christ, we should work towards unity. Right? We should. And Paul knew even the beginning of divisiveness, it could, it, it could be a crack in the foundation that gets bigger and bigger if it's left by itself. And he's saying, man, we need to be proactive in keeping unity uh, in the church. And so um, this threefold Um, requirement for unity Paul gives us now. They're building blocks, so to speak. Sub point one, live to agree. How do do you live nice? You live to agree. Verse 2a, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Um, Paul, again, was under house arrest, chained, guarded, 
24-7. And yet he was so full of joy. And he said, man, I want you to keep that, that joy factor rolling high in my life by walking in unity. In Matthew 18, 19, Jesus describes unity. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Now, this word agree in the Greek, it's where we get our English word symphony. And for all you symphony lovers, I remember growing up, my mom at Christmas time would always make our family go to Handel's Messiah, which I thought was just terrible. It was boring, you know, for an eight-year-old. Think about it, man. It was, she loved it, you know. She loved it. And so that was our torture every year, you know, until I got old enough to realize this is awesome, you know. I mean, the hallelujah chorus, ooh, baby, powerful, right? It's powerful. But that symphony, man, the instruments, they're, they're working together. They're playing beautiful music. That is what Paul's talking about, agree. Jesus is talking about, you agree here on earth. And um, a united church, man, you experience God's power. A divided church does not. It does not, man. Can I tell you a little secret? At Life Church, we're all about unity, friends. We're all about it. Um. And we have a responsibility, each one of us, to contribute to maintaining that unity. Agreeing wholeheartedly doesn't mean the believers line up and we agree on everything. You know, we're all robots. No, no, no. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's referring to that every follower of Christ, we should have the same attitude of Christ. That same attitude of Christ. It's where we're all headed in the same direction, right? Right? We're moving in the same direction. We're not, we're not bucking, pulling at the reins this way, this way. No, we're all going in the same direction. And that is what? Lifting up the name of Jesus, promoting him, and pointing people to Jesus. The gospel, the good news. That's our core right here. And... Um, I think for those of you that have been veterans here for a long time, you'll never hear us talking down other churches. We don't do that. We don't do that. We promote unity. And just, just a heads up, today, today after we let you out, the doors are chained. <laughs> I want to get out of here! No, you can't. Well... I'm just teasing. Anyway, when you go up Brandywine Trail and to the right, you're going to see a, a church meeting in the field. They're dedicating their property just to the west of us here. Not straight up where the llamas were, one lot over. <clears throat> and they're going to be building Good News Lutheran Church. We say, God bless you, man. You know, we're not competing. You know, we're not, we're not into competing. So just a heads up when you go out today. Just say, God bless Good News Lutheran Church on your way out, you know. Wave at the people out there, you know. Good or bad? It's good, man. It's good. It's good. That's the way we should live. Man, we should live that way. Find a church where you could say, I'm in. I'm in, man. Um... There's no perfect church and there's no perfect marriage. Debbie and I, if I had her up here today, she'd say, man. Uh, grace, you know, grace. Man, the, the longer the longer we're married, it's like, dude, why? You choose your battles, you know. You do, man. And, and you just sing great. Oh, man, you're just so awesome, you know, to your spouse. Because there's not a perfect marriage. There's a perfect marriage between Jesus, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride. That's perfect. That's what we should be modeling. But as long as we're living on planet Earth, there's no perfect marriage. And there's no perfect church. And we have to be okay with that. 
But when you say yes to Life Church, man, get behind it. You know? Get behind it. Support it. Pray for it. Um, attend. <laughs> mm. Number two, live to love. Verse 2b, loving one another. Uh, we need God's love. This is, we've kind of hit that. Imagine God saying to you, I love you, but I don't really like you. How would that make you feel? I love you, but I don't like you. Do you ever say that to somebody? Oh, I love you, brother, but I don't like you right now. Yeah. That's not edifying. Listen, if you don't like somebody, you need to ask the Lord to help you love that person. Maybe you need to invest in that person somehow, some way. Maybe you need to bless them. You don't know what they're going through. God doesn't say, I love you, but I don't like you. God would never say that. So, so we need to, you know, be all in on this live to love. Um, number three, work, live to work in unity to see and working together with one mind and purpose. The Greek is uh, same souled. It's uh, the souls are unanimous. And um, Pastor Thomas Robertson put it this way. When we have this kind of unity, we will be like clocks that strike at the same moment. See that? We strike at the same moment. And kind of like the, uh, the uh, University of Wisconsin Badger football team. Um, there they are. Um, all different kinds of positions. You got a quarterback, halfback, tight end, linebacker, defensive end. And you got those big guys on the line just like to hurt people, you know. But they're all in the same team, right? That's life church. We all do different things. Giftings are different, but we're all in the same team. And we need to celebrate that. And in God's family, there's no bench warmers. No bench warmers. Um, so we're all headed in the same, same direction. Um, number three, live mature. Verse three, eight, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. That was starting to happen in the church at Philippi. Paul was addressing it. That's why in sub point one, no more selfie stuff. Stop it. He says, <laughs> put those cameras away. Get off of Facebook. That, that, if he was here today, he'd say that. I'm just modernizing this a little bit here. Uh, verse 3, it's, don't be selfish. That's talking about factions or strife-driven. It's talking about a competitive spirit, you know. I'm better than you, you know. It, it divides churches into cliques and little groups. Not good, not good. Philippians 1.17, we just put in reverse a little bit because Paul was addressing that. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. What does Paul say? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter. That's what he's saying. Somebody ticks you off, you know. And I want to do that. They didn't say thank you. That takes me off. Paul says, it doesn't matter. Get over it. Keep the unity in the church, man. Right? That's what he's talking about. It doesn't matter. So, Lucy, our good friend from Peanuts, She's having a deep conversation with Charlie Brown, and Charlie reads, it says here that the world revolves around the sun once a year. And Lucy stops him and says, the world revolves around the sun. Are you sure? I thought it revolved around me. <laughs> Come on, Lucy. Man, that's crept in, huh? In our culture today. We, we check our likes and dislikes. That's what drives how we live and the choices we make. We feel bad if somebody doesn't like what we put up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
It's all about Jesus, his fame, his glory, his honor. That's what it's about. Two, no more trying to impress. Don't try to impress others. And that means it's all driven by arrogance, you know, our pride, our arrogance. I want to look good. You want to impress others because you're arrogant. Um, Not good. Finally, number four, live for others. Verse 3b, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Be humble. Selfishness, conceit can ruin unity. Here it is. Humility will build unity. It will. I guarantee it. We'll get more into that next Sunday with Jesus' attitude, but that's the one we should be going after. Romans 12, 3, because of the privilege and authority God's given me, I give each of you this warning. Paul is sending up a flare. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Friends, we need to do that. We need to do that consistently. And... um, This is, would be just a piece of advice that when somebody you do a job well done or a promotion or whatever the case may be, the first opportunity you have alone, look up and say, Lord, I give you the praise. It's all because of you, Lord. I'm deflecting. See, that, that's a healthy response. When I was messed up, when somebody gave me a compliment, I put my head down and I couldn't take a compliment. That's how wiped out I was, man. But when you're secure in Christ, you're a son and daughter of God. When somebody compliments you, you can say thank you because they're encouraging you. That goes back to the top in chapter 2, verse 1, encouragement. We need to encourage each other. Thank you. But then, deflect it back to God. That keeps you balanced. You can go through life balanced. And you're, you're putting your ego to death in the process. So, um, Verse 4, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Dr. Carl Mettinger was the founder of Medigar Clinic years ago, very famous, and he was asked what he would advise a patient who was about to have a nervous breakdown. He said, I would advise them to lock their door at home, go across town, find someone who has a great need, and do something to help that person. See that? In other words, get your mind off yourself. That's where this culture, this uh, social media, it's all about, you know, me. It's dangerous ground. No. Paul says you need to look out for other people. You know, God's put you here on purpose to help other people, point them to Christ. Take your eyes off yourself. And um, here it is. Coming to church, it's not about you. It's about others. Um, that's something that God had to show me um, years ago, you know. Um, I was looking for people to say hi, and they weren't saying hi, and I was getting bummed out on it. And then God says, hey, why don't you start saying hi to people? Just turn it around. (laughs) Simple. Why did I think of that? Yeah, man, God has you here to look for others that need encouragement. Reach out, say hi, get to know them, invest in them. Man, that's what matters. There was a pastor, he and I would get together, and it was... I had this thought, and he had the same thought, and we, we came out with the same thing. And then we said, 
I think our church is hanging by a thread. What's that mean? I know it sounds ominous, but really it isn't. Because when people are involved in anything, it's hanging by a thread. Which made us realize how much we needed to depend on God to protect his church. And without the Lord and the Spirit at work, friends, it's dangerous ground. That's why prayer is so important. That's why I value Wednesdays with the prayer group and awaken. And I, I understand. I understand people are busy. But without, and, and God is doing some cool stuff at Life Church, and I am so grateful, but I want it to continue more and more. And for that to happen, we've got to lean into God and say, God, we need your help. You know, we're relying on you. That's why at Awaken, we, we, we come to him humbly and we say, Lord, we need you. I need you, Lord. And simple opportunities just to gather to pray, to say, Lord, we're leaning on you because we're hanging by a thread. Without you, we're gone, you know? And so that desperation of needing God. On a cold winter afternoon in Innsbruck, 1964, the Olympic uh, two-man bobsled competition, a British team driven by Tony Nash had just completed its first run and put them in second place. When they got back up to the top of the hill for the next run, they realized uh, a disheartening discovery. They had broken a bolt on the rear axle of their sled, which would put them out of the competition. But at the bottom of the hill, the great Italian bobsled driver, Eugenio Monte, I know you've got his picture on your refrigerator, <laughs> he was in first place. And he heard about their problem, the Brits' problem. Without hesitating, Monte removed the bolt from his rear axle of his sled and sent it to the top of the hill. The British team put it on their sled. They competed. They went down the mountain, winning the gold medal. Monty's Italian team took the bronze. When asked about his act of sportsmanship, you know, trying to pat him on the back, Eugenio Monty deflected any praise, and he said, Tony Nash did not win because I gave him a bolt. Tony Nash won because he was the best driver. Can you see the body at Life Church? Somebody needs a bolt? We'll take it out of our car and give it to them so they can win and we'll get a bronze. You see that attitude? That's the heart of God. That's the model that we should be following. And so has the Spirit of God been saying anything to you about unity, promoting unity? Maybe you need to work on that in your own home. That's a good starting point. And let that overflow into the body of Christ as well. Lord, I humble myself so I can promote you, so your fame can be spread amongst anything else that's going on. Father, thank you for your encouragement this morning. We're leaning into you, Lord. We're leaning into you. But we think of how your people at times become so arrogant uh, to think it's all about them. And in the meantime, they're pushing you down further and further from the top and elevating themselves which grieves you, Lord. Man, it grieves you. 
And Lord, we want to we wanna live our lives joyfully, and a way of doing that is to humble ourselves and let you be glorified in everything we do and say. We give up our rights. We give up, man, uh, our place, you know. It's all about Jesus. It's all about elevating him, promoting him. Lord, help us to feel good about that, to settle that once and for all in our lives, to walk in humility, to walk in security knowing that we're yours, Lord. We don't have to prove anything to anybody. God, we thank you for unity at Life Church. We're so grateful for it. We're so grateful for your people here. They're gifts from God himself. We pray your favor, Lord, your blessing on them. And Lord, as we continue to live in this broken world, we will walk in joy because we are secure in our relationship with you and with each other, the body of Christ. So thank you. Thank you for the good work the Spirit of God is doing in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.